Well, good morning. How is everyone today? Really want to thank the Lord for the beautiful weather that we've been having. Boy, uh, we finally made it. We survived another five or six months of the first half of a Michigan year. We are thankful for uh, the beautiful weather God gives us. Also, uh, have a just a brief announcement I was asked to make, and so happy to make it. Uh, we have uh, Bob O'Dell and Kathy with us here this morning. Praise the Lord. He's doing well. And uh, we just we want to thank everybody for uh, all of your prayers during the little uh, uh, situation we had here during the church building, but he's doing really well. And if you haven't said anything to Bob, be sure to come over and put your arm around him and say, Bob, we love you. So we're so glad that you're feeling better today. This morning, I see the, the kids have already taken off, so I don't need to make that announcement. They know what's up. We're going to make a return to our Daniel Sermon Plan series. And as we get going, I'd like to start our time off in the Word just a bit differently. A change I believe you'll appreciate, especially my wife, no opening joke. That's not a joke. But I do have a list that I think you'll welcome. It's a list of one-liners. They're not funny, though. Well, preacher, your jokes never are. Ouch. But we're going to be jumping this morning into the topic of prayer from the pulpit. And as such, instead of punchlines, I have a list of spiritual lines all about the subject that I found. And, and I pray some of these will be an encouragement to you in your prayer lives. Now, this is a list. Uh, disclaimer here, this is not my original work nor is it made up of biblical quotations, but these are some biblical thoughts, I believe, pulled from various sources. Here we go. Uh, number one spiritual one-liner on prayer. As a child of God, prayer is similar to calling home every day. Amen? Similar to calling home every day. Secondly, if you're worried about something, you didn't pray. If you prayed about it, don't worry. I like that one. Number three, if a church wants a better minister, it only needs to pray for the one it, it has. Just, just throwing that out there. Number four, when you're praying, don't put a question mark where God has already placed a period. And I think that's a big one, isn't it? Number five, pray is a four-letter word that one is allowed to say anywhere except in public schools. Sadly, that's the truth, isn't it? Number six, a lot of kneeling can put you in good standing. A lot of kneeling can put you in good standing. I feel like, like David Letterman or something up here. <clears throat> Number seven, if you kneel before God, you can stand before anyone. If you kneel before God, you can stand before anyone. Remember that one. Number eight, beat the heat and join the church where prayer conditioned. That one was straight from the minister dad joke archive. My daughter's ready to leave already. Just one more, I promise. When it comes to prayer, don't give God instructions, just report for duty. Just report for duty. And this morning, as we're, we're going to talk through a prayer that Daniel said in chapter 9 of his book. Maybe we can take this from the message this morning. No matter the trouble that we may be in as a people, we have a God who waits for us to call upon his name. Does it make you wonder what could happen if our nation, our entire nation, under him, were to report for duty? What could happen? 
Let's give that some thought. This morning, uh, we're back on the timeline. Let's catch up a little bit. King Darius is ruler over Babylon. If you can think back to the end of Daniel chapter 5 when we, we talked through that together. And if you remember, Darius the Mede was the guy who took over the kingdom at the end of, of the chapter after Belshazzar was slain in the palace. Our text tells us in Daniel chapter 9, verse 1, we're just a year into this king's monarchy. By this point, as I dribble coffee onto my tie, we've come to understand Daniel's book as a collection of narratives and prophecies. Interestingly enough, chapter 9 contains a little of both, as we're going to find out. If you've got your Bibles open, if you don't, if you can find one there and grab, grab it and open it up to Daniel chapter 9, <clears throat> just skim in the text with me. This isn't on the overhead. Might help you a little bit, though. Uh, just skim through the first few verses of Daniel chapter 9. It, it, just as we go to God's Word, don't we? We go to God's Word, we hear what God has to say to us. And Daniel has done the same thing. He's done the same thing. We find the prophet at the beginning of chapter 9. He's been spending time in the writings of Jeremiah. When Daniel reads what the prophet says in verse 2, the desolation of, Jerem of excuse me, Jerusalem lasting 70 years, something clicks. He's able to make a connection with what's going on around him in his nation. And what does Daniel do? He prays. He prays. Knowing the man Daniel as we've, we've gone this far in his relationship with God, this shouldn't strike us too strangely, <clears throat> but let's take note. This wasn't his typical day-to-day -day ritualistic prayer. You remember back in Daniel chapter 6? It's been a little while, but back in Daniel chapter 6, this was the kind of prayer that got Daniel thrown in the lion's den, this repetitive prayer because they knew what he was up to doing it. That's not the kind of prayer we're talking about here. In verse 3, the text says that Daniel starts to plead with God in prayer and petition, in fasting, and in sackcloth and ashes. Wow. This is a time of prayer that's intense. It's full of urgency. It includes fasting and mourning. This is what the sackcloths and the ashes are all about. Culturally, uh, that's, that makes a lot of sense. It may strike us strangely today. It doesn't at this time. This is a time of prayer <clears throat> from a man who has a close relationship with God and is coming to him as closely as possible. Back in our message on Daniel chapter 1, I, I briefly mentioned the very text from Jeremiah which Daniel is responding to here. I'll refresh your memory. In Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 9, Jeremiah himself revealed to God's people the time of exile which was coming to them. Verse 11 of Jeremiah, of Jeremiah 25 goes on to even mention that the Jewish nations would, quote, serve the king of Babylon 70 years. So again, Daniel's done some math here. He's done some math. He remembers, oh, it's about 605 B.C. when the teenage Daniel was exiled to Babylon. It was about 586 B.C. when the temple of Jerusalem was destroyed. That was under King Nebuchadnezzar. But at this point on the timeline, uh, Daniel's realizing what? This 70 years, it's drawing to close. 
We're almost there. It's around 538 B.C. Daniel's in his 80s now. He's still faithfully serving his God. We see that in the text. He's still a stranger in a strange land. The fulfillment of the words said by that former prophet, this is right around the corner. Can you imagine what's going through Daniel's mind at this point? Jeremiah 25, verse 12, he's read this. But when the 70 years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation the land of the Babylonians for their guilt, and will make it desolate forever, declared the Lord. I'm getting out of here, finally. Finally, right? My ship's coming in. I can relax a little bit in Babylon, almost. I mean, knowing Daniel's interest, if we would think this would be his response, we might even think he'd have a little bit of fun with this news. You know, why not? Let's run around the kingdom. Let's just interpret the dreams of guards for fun. You know, oh, you had another dream that kept you up last night about the crashing hand of God, did you? Let me think on that, Wally. Short for Walshazar. We could at least assume that Daniel was breathing the sigh of relief of a man who'd been sentenced to life in prison, basically. And he'd reached parole while he was still feeling pretty good about things. But that's not Daniel's response to the prophecy. Daniel realizes there's a divine reason a divine reason for this exile in the first place. Why they've been exiled to Babylon. Why the Jewish nation is there. Before going home, if that was God's will, Daniel's people would need to be a repentant nation before a God who had promised they'd be a restored nation. So in deep reverence, Daniel bowed down to pray for a Jewish nation, not in a position of victory approaching, but one of continued disaster pending. Follow along with me. Let's let's dig in here. Verse 4. Again, we're not going to get to our highlighted text for a little while. Daniel chapter 9 continues, and Daniel prays, and these are some big words. I'm using the ESV here, so it might be just a little different than what's in your pews. But Daniel says this, Lord, the great and awesome God... This is how he begins his prayer. And these are some big words, aren't they? These are some big words right off the bat. Great and awesome God. Let's talk about that word a minute, awesome. When I was about 12 years old, I would call anything I found even partially interesting awesome. I threw that word out a lot. Like that Lego movie saying about it, everything was awesome. A trip to Chicago with my dad to see a ball game was awesome. That... Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon on Saturday morning TV was awesome. A bag of Cheetos. That was awesome. (laughs) The ability to take music off a vinyl record and convert it to a different audio format, say cassette, that was awesome. Full disclosure, I still think that's a great way to spend an afternoon, but I'm weird. But knowing how the Bible, specifically Daniel 9.4, describes God as awesome, these days I refrain from throwing that adjective away on anything but him, or at least I try. Earlier we sang that song, Awesome God, written by the late Rich Mullins. And if our God is truly an awesome God, which the Bible says he is, then only our God should be considered awesome. Amen? Daniel calls the Lord a a great and awesome God, here going on to say, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. So even if this word awesome has lost the weight it once had for us today, I promise you Daniel didn't use it to refer to Jehovah like he would a bag of Cheetos. 
As the prophet prayed, skim the text with me some more. Look down through verse 4 and and just kind of read there, uh, maybe down to about verse 16. This is an adjective referring to God's deserved reverence. The idea that we should fear him. This, my friends, was the meaning behind the original word that we've translated into awesome. This reverence, this deep fear. That's quite a start to a prayer session. Moving forward, you know, a guy in in those shoes that Daniel had could certainly have done a lot of finger pointing for where he was at, the position he was in. For the Israelites, big in the exile, they'd endured. We'd probably even think Daniel might have been justified for being angry. I mean, you know, he spent his life away from the promised land. I mean, Daniel's prayer could have been filled with such things as, I've really kind of wasted my precious time here, God. How could you do this to me, Lord? You kept me stranded here in Babylon as part of some prophecy? That's crazy. Haven't you loved me, Lord? Aren't you my maker? I mean, couldn't a less grateful person demand to know such things? We might even say, yeah, I'd probably say that myself or think it. Lord, is that how you show that you're in charge by picking on your people? And I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but I'm just giving you some examples of an attitude Daniel could certainly have had. It's the I know better than my maker mentality. Comes from harboring years of bitterness about one situation. Let's talk about bitterness a minute. Moses himself talked about a root of bitterness in Deuteronomy 29.18, saying it could produce bitter poison. Deuteronomy 29.18, if you're jotting down uh, some references. To Jewish thought, bitterness was a source of evil among God's people. The author of uh, the New Testament book of Hebrews references the, quote, root of bitterness in Hebrews 12, 15. And if you've ever talked to people who once had an active faith in the Lord and managed to let it disappear, get trodden on, or die away, some of these folks might have a chip on their shoulder about God. They might even blame God for the circumstances in their lives. This root of bitterness. Sometimes a very heavy growth can spring from a root of bitterness that's not been plucked out of the life of a believer. We know people like that. We've met individuals like that, but that's not Daniel. That's not Daniel's situation. Look at the text. What's Daniel's attitude after the lifetime he spent here? One of repentance. One of guilt. One of disgust. He includes himself in the charge of idolatry and rebellion against God. He doesn't seem the slightest amount bitter, but he's humble. Look with me in the text. Look, look through here, uh, back up at verse 5, some of the examples. We have sinned and done wrong, he says. <clears throat> verse 5, we have been wicked. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets. Verse 6, this day we are covered with shame. Let's just go on here. Verse 8, we have sinned against you. This is very humble stuff penitent. Verse 10, we have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us. And in verse 12, Daniel had something that is quite significant. That is, God may certainly allow a nation to be lost if we've decided against being guided by his hand. Daniel admits this. He says this. He says this down by verse 12. You have fulfilled the word spoken against us and our rulers by bringing on us great disaster. Daniel knows the very near future is quite uncertain. So what does he do? In reverence, in fear, he looks at the past. 
He's grateful for the grace and mercy of his maker. Verses 14 to 16 as he's also acknowledging that this last 70 years of exile have been well-deserved to the present, doesn't he? We see this. We see his attitude. It's remarkable. But I asked a similar question earlier. What could happen? What could happen if we today, if we acknowledged our sins and we poured our hearts out to our Maker to appeal to his mercy and grace, Like Daniel. What could happen? Can you imagine what could happen in this nation if instead of dropping our faith in apathy or because there are social expectations of us fitting in, we instead drop to our knees in reverence and worship to God? Think about it. 240 million Christians today make up the largest population of this country, more than any country in the world. God says in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, it's a verse we like to quote. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. We've heard that, right? But do we believe that? It's easier for us as Christians, I think, instead to point fingers for the way things are, isn't it? Don't we do that? Spend five minutes on social media. We do that. It's easier to say all the immorality surrounding us in this country is because of entertainers or industries or politicians or changes in social mores. It's certainly a lot more difficult for Christians to look in the mirror and say, The American people who are now Christian now statistically make up less than half the population, and that number is dwindling. And guess what, Josh? It's your fault! We like to talk about what's wrong in America. We like to say in quiet, conservative corners that if the American church did what it was supposed to do in loving one another, we wouldn't need government to take care of the American people. I think we can do one better. I think we can say if the American church hadn't let government become our God... There wouldn't be any question of who truly took care of the American people in the first place. One minister writes, if we are going to be upset over the unholiness we see in America, we need to be upset over how Christians have dropped the ball. We need to be like Brother Joe Wright, who stood before one state House of Representatives in January of 1996 and prayed the following. Heavenly Father, we come before you today to ask your forgiveness and to seek your direction and guidance This is before a bunch of politicians, mind you. He continued, We know your word says, Woe to those who call evil good, but that's exactly what we have done. We've lost our spiritual equilibrium and inverted our values. Minister Wright continued saying this before his peers. We confess that we have ridiculed the absolute truth of your word and called it pluralism. We have worshipped other gods and called it materialism. We have endorsed perversion and called it alternative lifestyle. Does this sound familiar? He went on. We have exploited the poor and called it lottery. We have neglected the needy and called it self-preservation. We have rewarded laziness and called it welfare. We have killed the unborn and called it a choice. We have shot abortionists and called it justifiable. We've neglected to discipline our children and called it building self-esteem. 
We've abused power and called it political savvy. We have coveted our neighbor's possessions and called it ambition. We have polluted the airwaves and called it freedom of expression. We have ridiculed the time-honored values of our forefathers and called it enlightenment. Search us, O God, right, concluded that day, quoting the psalmist, and know our hearts. Try us and see if there be some wicked way in us. Cleanse us from every sin and set us free. Amen. How'd you like to try that one in front of a room of politicians? Can we be people who put one nation under prayer? Do we have the God-fearing faith of Daniel to put our people under reverent, fervent prayer before Almighty God while we're still strangers in a very strange land? Because Daniel had another choice. He could have he just chosen to ride the time out waiting on his maker. He knew the time there was coming to a close, didn't he? And we know the same today as well. Sometimes the church is content with just writing it all out. Isn't that what we do? We say, well, you know where with that guy, I'm going to heaven, right? I confess I've not lived an extremely long life, perhaps just over a little of a third of a century. You know, it sounds a lot longer saying it like that. I shouldn't do that again. But one thing I'm learning a little more each day about being one of God's adopted children waiting for my Lord to come back and take me home is this. I can either look at the world and the culture and the state of affairs and the toxic relationships which surround me and I can be bitter or I can rely on the Holy Spirit of God to get better. But we're not going to make a difference for the kingdom by pointing fingers at the world around us because the world mocks us. With no indwelling Holy Spirit, the persecution is always going to grow more relentless. Our thoughts and prayers used as an ongoing punchline by unbelievers who have even fewer answers than the believers who know that sin is what is to blame for mass shootings and natural disasters. It's a heart problem. So judging the lost and pointing fingers at the lost isn't going to help the body of Christ a bit. Instead, why don't we take every opportunity, every chance we get not to respond to the world under fire, but under continued petition to God, like Daniel. The times are very similar. You know how you fix the world? You don't. You grow as a body instead. And here's an example of how to do that, like the prophet before us. Some of us just recently met on Thursday, May 2nd, in the fellowship hall of this very building. Uh, We were honored to, again this year, host a community national day of prayer service. We had multiple congregations. We had multiple ministers present, but this wasn't some bogus uh, interfaith affair. Instead, we as God's people together prayed for the future of our country before us. If you were there, you, you know how powerful that is. That day can be. We prayed for the healing of relationships among us, for repentance of the devaluing of human life around us, for revival and spiritual awakening to take place in the communities and churches between us. We have done this once a year. Now here's another example of how we put our people under prayer. Once a week on Sunday mornings, and while this very worship service is going on, there's people on this uh, church campus praying. 
praying for your church, praying for your ministry team, for your church leaders, praying for you, the congregation, praying for this nation right now. And you can be one of those people too. Here's an opportunity to do this. If you'd like to consider getting involved with this active prayer ministry, there's opportunities for you every week. It's just as easy as getting signed up. You can do that right here in the hallway. How else can we keep our nation under prayer? What other ideas do we have? This is our point of power, prayer. Get involved with placing your church and community and country under prayer uh, to the Father some other time. Maybe you're just looking for a good place to do that. That prayer room on the other end of the building, it's available for you anytime the church building's open. Or if you have a, uh, another special time or opportunity you'd like to take to pray inside, let me know. My phone number's right there on the bulletin. I only say that to you guys because I like you. But no. Prayer of Daniel. There's power in prayer. And I mean nothing idolatrous in regards to prayer at the church building. Uh, pray in your car. You can pray uh, in the shower. You can pray in your bedroom closet on your back porch. Uh, like uh, Cody always says, if you work a field while you're outstanding in your field. Pulled it from the beginning to put it right there just for you. Just pray somewhere, would you? I don't care where. And as you pray, my brothers and sisters, under the mercy of God, which is where we stand, under the mercy of God, consider these words prayed so many years ago in ancient Babylon, and we're, we're ready for that highlighted text, verses 17 to 19. Consider these words. Follow with me. Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy and for your own sake, O Lord. Make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Verse 19, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. And this morning, my friends, let's, let's go back to 17. Let's, let's just try this. Would you just say these words out loud with me? Would you pray these words with me as well? I'll say them again, and, and I know we're not much for written liturgy anymore in the Church of Christ, but let's just try this together, shall we? Let's just say these three verses out loud together. I open our hearts in, in uh, repentance and awe before a great and awesome and holy God. He, he knows our sins, he sees our failures, and he loves us and forgives us every time, doesn't he? Would you pray these words with me? Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Praise God. 
You know, after Daniel says this powerful prayer, in the rest of the verses that follow in Daniel chapter 9, if you still got the text open there, we read of another encounter he has. And this is with the angel Gabriel. Gabriel's turned up earlier in the book, and he's back here. Gabriel here is going to tell Daniel about verse 24, a period of 77s. And this 77s actually equals about 490 years if we consider sevens as 70-year periods, okay? Now stay with me here. This gets a little complicated. I'll try to make it as simple as I can. If we don't think our awesome God above knows what he's doing on this timeline, all we have to do is consider this. Verse 25, look with me. The time in which the Jerusalem wall would later be restored and rebuilt would begin around 457 B.C., this was by order of Artaxerxes to Ezra, you know, in the book of Ezra. Now, 490 years later, or a period of 77s later, do you know where this puts us on the modern calendar? The year A.D. 33. Jesus Christ, the anointed one, verse 25, will be cut off as Daniel says will happen, will be put to death for yours and mine and the sins of the world. This is an awesome God to which we pray. An awesome God to which we pray. What's more, half a seven later, verse 27, as the text says, half a seven, around 30 some odd years later, the temple in Jerusalem once again destroyed by Rome, the year AD 70. Is your mind blown yet by what's in your Bible? As the reader today has encountered several times throughout this book of Daniel, as we've talked time and time again through his book, this Old Testament timeline fully revealed by God through the prophet. But for some reason, I have a hard time trusting God with the rest of my timeline, like he doesn't know what he's doing or talking about. Can't see things coming. We might say God is in the numbers. Christ's coming was, for, was foretold 600 years before it happened. After this powerful chapter 9 prayer of Daniel, may we be just as reverent and humble and penitent in our prayers before Christ's return. Amen. There's nothing that can unite us, that can bring us together in times like this. In President Trump's April 30th National Day of Prayer Proclamation, he observed the following, quote, Americans have always found power and unity through prayer at pivotal moments. In 1775, Congress first declared a day of prayer, asking American patriots throughout the colonies to pray in earnest for divine help in forming the republic. Seventy-five years ago this June, President Franklin D. Roosevelt led the nation in prayer as courageous Americans stormed the beaches of Normandy on D-Day. He continued, in 1988, Congress called on the president to issue each year a proclamation designating the first Thursday in May National Day of Prayer. And today, we once again come together to give thanks to Almighty God for the bountiful blessings he has bestowed on our great nation and to ask for his unfailing counsel. And the president concluded this, may we as Americans never forget the power of prayer and the greatness of our creator. I couldn't agree with an American president on anything more. May we never forget the power of prayer and the greatness of our creator. 
our great and awesome God. Because, my friends, no matter where we are as a nation, no matter what's come before us, no matter what's ahead, under our God, it's always a good time to pray. Let's go to him now. Oh, Lord, we we do come to you today. A people made up of sinners, people who are broken. But, Lord, we are also a people that have at our very fingertips all we need in you. I pray that you would draw us closer to you. Lord, that you would work on our hearts in every area, everywhere, where we can give up just a little bit more of ourselves to you in prayer. Lord, help us to remember your love for us your grace and mercy each day of our lives. And as we open your word, we look at prayer. We see we can't do anything without it. God, we thank you for this amazing resource we have because you are an awesome God. You want to hear from us. You want to know everything on our hearts, on our minds, each daily struggle, each joy, and each sorrow as well. Lord, we pray right now for our country in a time in which every day it seems like the value of human life is dwindling. Lord, we thank you for those people around this country that have made big decisions. Despite what the world says about them, despite the slander and despite the persecution, people that have stood up for what your word says, that you knew us, even from the womb you knew us, Lord, I thank you for everyone that has taken a courageous step in this day and age to say there is a standard and his name is Jehovah God. I pray, Lord, that as Christians we would continue to press on remembering the name that we bear. The amount of prayer that we see in the garden, throughout the example that we have in Christ, may that be our example as well. Lord, may that be the life that we live before you to our families and friends and and co-workers that they see that we are people of prayer. We are people that look to hear from you. Not because of who we are, but because you are a great and awesome God. Lord, we believe that you are coming to get us out of exile, out of the strange land we are in. But Lord, we need your word to speak through us.
there are others that you wait to come home to you as well. Give us courage, Lord, to stand on your holy ground to keep one nation under prayer. It is in the name of Jesus. I pray these things. Amen.